This morning our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2. I'll be reading the majority of the passages from chapter 2 if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled. And everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come the one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and look, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the male children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the word spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted, because they were no more. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We remember him today for his paranoia. History remembers him for his frequent actions in ensuring that he was the only one eligible to be appointed king of Judea first by Julius Caesar and later by Caesar Augustus. A region that consisted of the lands of Israel, parts of Syria, Idumea to the south, and the Negev desert, Herod the Great is what we have referred to him in history. Although my guide in Israel named Mike when I was able to go four or five years ago referred to Herod as Herod the Crazy because I imagine. That's what his enemies thought of him, as well as those he dealt with in attempting to protect and maintain his position of power in the throne. We remember him today for his ten wives, his numerous children, and his effectiveness in keeping the challengers to his throne at bay through the use of execution, imprisonment, and just political maneuvering as he remained the king of Judea for over 37 years. Today I want us to ask, who is Herod the Great? And what contribution does his life make to the birth story of Jesus of Nazareth? 
Each week during the season of Advent this year, we're going to be looking at some of the stories, some of the individuals who are in the parts of the lectionary that come immediately after Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ. These are stories that some years we gloss over, some years we we don't look at them in the same way because Christmas has passed and so we move on. And so this year we're going to be looking at them before Christmas, before Christmas Day. As we hear and study and think about people like Herod the Great, as we talk about the Magi next week, as we look at Simeon and Anna, and then the shepherds, we're going to ask the questions, how did this person or group contribute to the birth story of Jesus Christ? How did they and their actions point out to the world who Jesus was? And what can we learn from these people in our own faith journey. And so this morning we're going to begin our journey away from the manger by going as furthest away in the story before we get to Jesus' adulthood with King Herod. King Herod, or Herod the Great, was in a different position of power from roughly 47 BCE to his death in 4 BCE. Herod was first appointed by his father Antipas, who had gotten appointed governor or a regional commander of the region when he appointed his two sons under him to be governors of the different region of the territory that he was in control. And so Herod was made the governor of Galilee, where he quickly made himself noticed by Rome because of his effectiveness in dealing with a band of brigands that had been terrorizing the region for a number of years. Herod found them, he dealt with them militarily, he rounded them all up, and he executed the majority of them. And his action, while it it caught the notice and caught the eye of Rome and how effective he was in maintaining the empire, it also caused him to land in Jerusalem, facing a trial before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, because they were offended that he as a Jew had chosen to execute other Jews without their consent. There's no official record of what happened out of that trial, except historians say that it likely didn't happen in full because Julius Caesar sent a note informing the regional commanders of the area that it wasn't going to work for Herod to be charged for those crimes. And so he was acquitted. And he maintained various positions of power until 40 BCE when he was appointed the king of Judea by the Roman Senate, a position that he occupied until his death. A quick background on him, he was born in the deserts of the Sinai. He was an Edomite who was a descendant of Abraham, but he was not Jewish. The Edomites were later forced into the Jewish faith by the Hasmoneans, The Hasmoneans were a family that that rose up in power upon the death of Alexander the Great when Alexander's lands and, and his empire was divided amongst four of his generals. And so in the various maneuverings, this region had different leaders with the group immediately before Herod being the Hasmoneans. The Hasmoneans are unique because they were the kings of Judea They were also the family in which the high priest came from. And many times when they were reigning, the king was both the king and the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the Hasmoneans in their power forced the Edomites to become Jewish. And so they became known as the Idumeans 
which made Herod an Idumean. A, car- a badge that he would always carry, something that was always viewed negatively by those in the Jewish faith and those in Jerusalem, because it made Herod only roughly a third generation Jew. This forcible conversion, this knowledge of this forcible conversion, was always something that hung over Herod in his reign by those in Judea. And so in many historical texts, if you read them, when they say that Herod was an Idumean, they mean that to let us know that he was not considered truly Jewish, which meant that many of the things that he did and the religious practice through his reign was not fully Jewish as well. And I think if you read the history books of Herod, he picked and chose the areas of Jewishness that he was going to express and live, and then the other areas that he was going to be a Hellenist or Greek or Roman. In an attempt to associate himself with Jewish belief and with the Jewish faith and to integrate himself further into the Jewish faith, Herod married Mariamne, who was a beautiful princess. She was a Hasmonean. Her father was named Hyrcanus. And at the time of Herod's Herod's appointment, Hyrcanus was the chief priest of the temple in Jerusalem. And so by marriage, Herod is trying to give himself greater legitimacy. Of all his wives, Mariamne was Herod's favorite. She was beautiful. Josephus, the the historian, the Jewish-Roman historian, writes, and out of his nine other wives, Mariamne was the one. Mariamne had Herod appoint her younger brother, Aristobulus, high priest. And after him being in that position for a year, Herod had him drowned. Herod was later informed by another family member that Mariamne was being unfaithful to him, so he had her executed. And if you read the different history books, I believe that this was the act that caused him to go into the paranoia that he is known for and that he engaged in for the rest of his life. I read this book as part of my study for this sermon. It's called Herod, a friend of of Rome, a king of the Jews and a friend of Rome, and it's by Peter Richardson. And, And what he presents as he's presenting a story of Herod is he presents a clear picture that I think this author believes that it was the the killing of Mariamne that Herod regretted for the rest of his life. And it was something that he would have uh, not done in retrospect, and I think it's something that caused him and, and, and just caused him to change who he was and how he viewed others. In addition to killing Mariamne, Herod was brutal. He did all that he could to stay in power. He he murdered Aristobulus, who was the high priest. He had executed at least three of his sons. He had various other Hasmoneans who were a threat to his power because they were the the family that, by hereditary lineage, passed on the kingship. And he killed others who he felt were a threat to his power. In fact, Caesar Augustus, at one point, is said to have said this about Herod, that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's court than to be one of his own sons. But Augustus also referred to Herod as an ally and a friend, which should give us some insight into how Herod was viewed by Augustus himself and by the Roman Senate, because it shows the level of control that Herod had been given over that region. He had been given full control, except for the ability to wage war on his own, and except for the ability to make foreign alliances. Herod kept peace with the Jews 
for all many of the years of his rule by, by allowing them to worship God in the temple, not making them to worship Rome or worship Caesar, like many of the other regions in the Roman Empire were required to do, but to placate the Romans and to allow this to happen. Herod instituted the temple tax. And if you're familiar and if you're thinking of, of the Gospels, I mean, this is the same temple tax that Jesus and others spoke out against. And so it was something that was instituted to placate the Romans to allow the Jews to worship God. But later it was something that was a burden that kept the people of God from fully worshiping God. Herod kept Rome happy. The many trade routes that passed through the region were kept open by his military forces and he himself benefited because he had the ability to tax and to tariff all the different items that passed through his lands. To elevate his own name and things we remember him for today, Herod was a tremendous builder. And I think no matter what you view about Herod, we can look at his buildings and the things that are still standing and see how competent he was in this area. For many of the structures he built are still standing. He built many of them for his own use. He built many of them to honor others and to impress the Roman emperor, to show that he was a, a faithful king who served under him. A few structures that you can think of of Herod and that you can go research if you'd like. The first is Caesarea Maritima. This is a seaside city that Herod constructed on the shore of the Mediterranean. This valuable city was created with a beautiful palace for Herod and with a theater and with a hippodrome and with other things. But the one thing that, or two things that are most unique about it is Herod took a natural port and enlarged it and dredged it and put in seawalls that gave the Jewish people and the land of Judea an actual trading port that allowed the largest ships of the day to come in and trade. And so it increased the ability of those in Judea to participate in the larger life of the region in terms of trade. The other thing you can go today and see is running along the shore of the Mediterranean is a series of aqueducts that Herod had constructed over 2,000 years ago. They're still standing that brought water to this city, fresh flowing clean water to the city, I believe over 10 miles, so that they could have it there in Caesarea Maritima. He named it Caesarea after uh, Caesar Augustus to show honor to him. He upgraded Masada. Masada was first built by the Hasmoneans as a mountaintop fortress next to the Dead Sea. Herod took it, saw the value in it, and made it his winter palace, which he increased it and, and updated it. And you can go there today and just see this mountaintop fortress that, I mean, was just amazingly built with a series of cisterns to collect water that they, they said that there were, was enough water that was collected or research has found that they believe Herod could have stayed up there for two years because of all the water that was collected by the various cisterns and, and drainages around the, the mountain. And last, Herod was known for his rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. There he took this meager structure that was known previously that had been rebuilt by the Jews after their return from Babylon when Cyrus of Persia released them. And he took this meager structure on top of this mountain and he built a massive terrace around it and built retaining walls and brought in soil and eventually creating a space that is larger than 150 football fields. The only remaining portion of Herod's temple today, because his temple was destroyed in 70 CE, 
when the Jews upri- uh, when there was a Jewish uprising and the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The only remaining portion is the western wall. We know it also as the Wailing Wall, where those of the Jewish faith go to pray and remember. See, he ruled for 40 years over Judea. Upon his death, he was known to be ruthless and suspicious. It is said that he issued the order that when he died, all of the leading citizens in all of the cities that he ruled over were to be executed so that the whole country, so that the whole region of Judea would be in mourning upon his death and the death of of others. Fortunately for us and for those that were living at the time, when Herod died, his, his sister Salome countermanded the, that, that order, sparing the lives of, of who knows how many people. See, Herod's remembered for many things. He's remembered for his service to Rome. And in one of the books that I read, it said when Caesar Augustus wrote his, his biography, or his record of, of service and what had happened during his reign, the land of Judea is not mentioned. I think Herod is mentioned once, Judea it may be mentioned once, but... What that shows us is the level of confidence that they had in Herod. And probably the level of ruthlessness that he was willing to employ to keep the people down, to keep them from, from doing or participating in any uprisings or anything else. And so Augustus didn't mention Herod because he never had to move against the region of Judea like he did other parts of his, of his empire. But you know, whatever you think of him, we have to know his history in order to to understand a little better his reaction to the Magi coming and sharing with him that their belief that a Messiah had been born. See, the Magi came to Jerusalem and they had been following this star and they were looking for a baby and they came to the place where they expected a royal baby to have been born. They were looking for the baby that was destined to be the king of the Jews and with that, this elder king's paranoia. His paranoia was inflamed. Inflamed because of the threat to his rule. Inflamed because of the possibility that it would be another who would take his throne. Inflamed simply because that's who he'd become. With someone who is willing to do anything to keep his place and to keep his power. And so Herod consulted the religious leaders of his day, which I find it interesting because that means that Herod consulted the high priest and he consulted the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Council of Seventy. People that he was working in relationship with throughout his entire reign to keep peace in the land. When he went to them and said, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And they said, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you the least among the rulers of Judah, because from you one will come who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. See, they quoted him this passage of Scripture that said, Out of Bethlehem the Messiah would come. And the clever king told the wise men and instructed them to let him know. See, I think it's really interesting that Herod consulted the leading figures of the time, who knew where the Messiah was to be born and who obviously believed that that was something that could happen. Because it's interesting to think that a short 30 plus years later, it would be this same group. 
Maybe some of them have changed, but many of them possibly not. Who were the ones saying that Jesus was not the Messiah? That the Messiah had not been born? It's just interesting to think about. Next week we're going to read about how the wise men met the infant Christ and then left by another road to return to their land in order to avoid him. And then we look at Herod's response. Matthew 2.16 reads that Herod was infuriated. And so he ordered all the boys under two in and around Bethlehem to be killed. Due to the size of Bethlehem at the time of Christ, this is a shepherd's village basically. So there's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of of people that live there. This isn't a metropolitan area. It's still awful to think about it. But who knows how many young boys under two were killed. See, but in his action, what Herod does is point our eyes towards the infant Christ. In his action, Herod shows us that he believed that the one who was born could very well have been the king of the Jews. Herod believed, and the high priest and the Sanhedrin must have believed as well, to send these wise men to the tiny, insignificant town of Bethlehem to find this newborn king. And so because they acted, they show us their belief. And because they knew that God could and would work, they show us their belief in the unlimited possibility of God and in God's willingness to make the impossible happen. They knew that the Messiah could come. They knew that the Messiah was going to come. And so their actions and Herod's actions point out to us that the newborn Jesus was the one. And that he was born not just by chance in a little town due to a census, but that he was born for a reason to point our eyes to the Messiah who had come to offer us life. See, Herod's story reminds us that Jesus was born because we as humans need a Savior in this world to defeat the evil that is planted within us at the very beginning of time as we've talked about with Adam and Eve in the beginning of the story that this evil is within us just biding its time in fertile soil just waiting for its opportunity to bloom and to grow. See, we have to be reminded by Herod's story and stories like his that evil is not just contained in people that have done evil and acted upon it, but that evil is present in all of us. And in the story of Herod, we remember that Christ came to bridge the gap that evil causes between us and God. And so the very season then of Christmas came because God chose to come into the world so that you and I would no longer have to experience death. We would no longer have to live in fear or apprehension. And instead we could live in life. And we could live in hope and peace and faith and joy with the knowledge. Not just belief, but with the knowledge that God is greater than any evil in this world. See, Herod's story reminds us that we have the potential within us to do great things for good, but he shows us how easy it is for us to do bad and to do evil.
we're reminded that in this season especially, we need the light of Christ in our lives to show others who we are and to show others whose they are. For Christ came for them, Christ came for us, and Christ came so that you and I might approach God once again as the people who are forgiven and who are loved. Herod shows us that evil will do great things to overcome the goodness of God. See, but in this story, God shows us that he can do far greater things than anything evil can muster in delivering his son so that his son can deliver his people. And so as we go through this season of Advent, I pray that we would remember that we have to choose to be a people who offer ourselves to others, who offer the good and who don't fall prey to the temptation to allow the evil within us to bloom and grow. Instead, we take up the goodness of Christ, the love of God, and we place ourselves in the life of faith, hope, and love that He gives us this day and every day. Amen.